0: If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find Revelation chapter 20. If there's anybody to be, uh, I don't know if blame is the right word, but that's the one we're going to use. If there's anybody to be blamed about not just tacking these four verses on to last week, it is me. But I thought in the scriptures, I don't know of any more starker places where two worldviews could be placed beside each other and certainly here are the the uh, sure and end results of having two different worldviews and and if we ever wondered how many how many ways of looking at things there are Jesus boils it down to just these two Uh, and he he would say it just like this you're either with me or what church you're against me and that's certainly the way things are going to boil down. We're either with him or against him, and and I just thought that uh, I had this twofold thing. Uh, months and months and months ago, when we were dividing out the book of the Revelation, I literally remember thinking that this is so stark and so heavy that the uh, that the saints of God will need a tangible reminder. And so I I had jotted down in my notes, have the Lord's Supper, and I wrote comma for sure. Because the uh, the people of God who are trusting in Christ will need this tangible reminder that it is the body broken for us and the blood poured out for us that is the only way we'll find our name in the book of life is to believe on him. And we'll need that assurance tonight. And perhaps, perhaps... Perhaps someone might find consolation in Christ for the first time tonight. Because the other side of this, uh, I don't know how to say it except to say it. The other side of this is hell. And for all the modern softness of American Christianity, one of the great things about going straight through the books of the Bible is you just can't avoid certain topics, Uh, And I have felt the weight of this all afternoon, all day, building and building. So much so I'm sitting over here sweating like I've been running from the law. And I just soon get arrested as running from the law in this kind of heat. And uh, uh, literally wiping sweat away and my glasses fogging up. Not because I'm scared to preach hell to anybody or concerned about anybody being offended. It's just I believe what this book says and I can't imagine wanting anybody to wind up here. It says, God's serious here. I don't, can't think of anything that grieves me more than people going to hell. And so uh, <laughs> I literally had to go to the back and find a towel. I was just sitting over here sweating buckets. The only good news is, New Way cleaners will have a. Some more business tomorrow because this suit is soaking wet already. So they'll, they'll be thankful that I'm preaching on hell, I reckon. So without any further ado and not wanting to distract from the moment, let's read Revelation chapter 20 beginning at verse number 11. Here's what the Bible clearly says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, that we would tremble before the truth of hell, and would we delight over the truth of the book of life. Buoy our hearts in the hope of the resurrection, and Father, do indeed give East Rock Community Church a burden for those who have yet to trust in Christ. In Jesus, I pray, amen. Well, you might get a short sermon out of this. I might dehydrate and fall out. I don't have a lot of great thoughts, but I have some direct thoughts that I think are worth saying tonight, and the first one is this, is Jesus sits in judgment from a great, awesome, fearful throne. Now, what do I say all of this? Don't misunderstand at all who's going to be doing the judges, judging, excuse me. I'll call your attention back to a passage we covered many, many months ago, John chapter number five. Just listen to these few verses as I read them to you. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's tough talk, isn't it? Jesus is, is making a, a claim on divinity during his earthly ministry, and he's saying, like, uh, you know, you're really dishonoring the Father if you dishonor me. Uh, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Isn't that good news? Amen. Somebody say amen in this place. Believe on Jesus, and you pass from death into life. Hallelujah. He continues, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and, now, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. Now, let me see if I can give you all this in a real simple way. Adam, Adam, the first man, Adam was given dominion over the earth. Now, that sounds like royal language because it is. Adam was made in his flesh king over all that God had given Adam to survey. Adam abdicated. Adam abdicated because of sin. Adam abdicated because he did not watch over himself and he did not watch over his wife and he did not rule and when he abdicated it did not create a vacuum but Satan began to rule. What Jesus did, what Adam lost in the flesh, Jesus came in the flesh, fully God, fully man, he released, he let go of the glory of heaven, he took on the flesh of man He obeyed the Father perfectly, even all the way to the cross. And what Adam had abdicated in the flesh, God came in the flesh and won back. Let the church say amen. So when he says he is the son of man, what he's saying is he never, ever once gave up his heavenly authority. Amen, church. But what he did was come back and won his earthly authority in the flesh back. And God has given him, the Father has given the Son the right to judge. I don't, want you, I don't want us to miss this. It says, saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who is him who was seated on? The one who has been given authority to judge. It's not just pay attention to Jesus so that, you know, you'll have some sweetness in your life. No, this is who we will have to deal with. As a matter of fact, I won't go there because if I do, I'll go there. But, but uh, I, I, I love how you know Jesus says, "Hey, I'm not here for judgment right now, but I'm coming back to that." Here is the pronunciation of this coming back. And and I want us to see something. No one will escape this judgment. In very poetic language, in Revelation 20 verse 11. It says, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. That's a really fancy way of saying nowhere to hide. Maybe some of you will remember that R&B song from the 60s. Nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. Everything will be laid bare before God. There will be no escaping. Do you remember as he was pronouncing judgment? one of the things that the people would say when judgment was coming on us, hey, mountains fall on us. Anybody remember that besides me? Mountains fall. Mountains, we would rather you cover us up than us have to face God. Wow. I don't don't know about y'all, but I, I take those rocks falling signs seriously in the mountains. I do. You see, you know, possible rock falls. i would be looking at them. I'm driving like this. Because, you know, if one starts coming down the mountain, Tim's going to try to get out of the way, right? Could you imagine begging a mountain to fall on you? You would rather have a mountain fall on you than to stand before God. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Wow. Wow. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that in relation to your own life? We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's heavy. Now, you want me to scare you? Yeah. Just Tammy. Tammy's laughing. She's like, yeah, scare me, Tim. Go for it. How many of us would like someone in this room to... Freely look through our telephones. I, I'm with Molly. Molly, me and Molly. Molly's like, sure, go ahead. Ain't nothing in mine. I'm with you. Mine's pretty boring, as a matter of fact. I don't even have a single game on my phone, Molly. And it's only because I can't find one I like playing that doesn't have commercials. It's not because I'm holy. I just don't want to pay anything for them. I'm tight. I'm not holy. How, how about, how about what, what if next Sunday we say, everyone print out, your last 60 days of bank statements, and we're going to come to church and trade them. Who wants to do that? I didn't, I actually, I saw, I'll tell you, it was Barbara. Barbara's going. <laughs> Me too, Barbara, right? Let's just be honest. Okay? <clears throat> Let's all come to church naked next week. Okay? I don't want to do that for two reasons. I don't want to be seen, and Lord Jesus, I don't want to see a bunch of (laughs) y'all. I'm being ridiculous because this has pained me, but if you think any of those sounds like a bit of a scary scenario, nothing will hide us on that day of judgment. Nothing will hide us, and nothing will be hidden. Does that, does that kind of get to anybody but me? Now, I have some consolation here. What is the consolation? Everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that each person's going to have to give an account for things done in his body, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. All right, but check this out. Check this out. Uh, this is, this is going to surprise any guests we might have. Any regulars already know this about me. I have gotten a lot of speeding tickets. I have. To my shame. I, as a matter of fact, I saw blue lights the other day on Patterson Boulevard, and I said, man, I'm getting ready to get another ticket. And I thought, I wasn't even doing anything. And I pulled over, and the guy zoomed around, and I was like, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I was so happy. I was like, I was just doing like five over. Come on, man. But, you know, it's one, one over speeding, right? Well, I have this joke when I'm out on the interstate. When people don't want to move out of my way, I say, look, man, this lane's for people with ticket money. Get out of the way. All right? If you ain't got ticket money, stay out that left lane. Just get over there and go along at f- 55 miles an hour for the next 100 miles as far as I can. But stay out the ticket lane. Let me through. I don't think we should ever flaunt the law. I don't. I don't think we should ever flaunt sin. But I think we ought to remember that who's being talked about right here are two kinds of people. People who are covered in Christ and people who are trying to cover themselves. And when people get called up before God, two sets of books are going to be opened. One set are people whose names are found in the book of life. These people have said, take my life, let it be consecrated unto thee. Jesus, be my advocate. Jesus, be my hope. Jesus, be my stay. Jesus, be my salvation. Other people have said, I don't need Jesus. And so what's going to happen, what's going to happen is these books are going to be open? Everybody's going to stand in front of God, right? Everybody. But who he's dealing with here in this passage are the people who didn't experience the resurrection. Let's be really clear about that. He is calling up those not in him. Wow. He's going to open a set of books, and he's basically, this is a bit of an overgeneralization, but he's saying, hey, those who have trusted in me, this isn't about you. This isn't about you. Now, consider this passage very quickly. 1 Corinthians 3. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up... He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't miss this. Don't miss this at all, right? We're not going to experience the punishment that our works deserve. We're going to receive the blessing that Christ's righteousness has purchased us. Everybody else is there letting their works get tested. The believer isn't tested based on his works. Hallelujah, what, wow, amen. Now, I don't usually do this. I put it in print and I wanted to read it to you. If you got your bulletin, open your bulletin up. Go to that little part that, to fit it all in, I had to make the writing tiny. Go to that part, this was from the pen of Pastor Tim. Some years ago, a friend of mine said, hey, read this book. And I, you know, I just went and got it. I didn't really want to read it. I don't love you too, I don't hate you too, but he says, you'll, you'll really find this, this book interesting." So I, I did, I went and bought it. Listen to, listen to this Irish singer's understanding of the difference between what you earn and grace. Just listen. Now I put it in print so you can take it away with you. And this is taken in, uh, as an excerpt. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. Pause. I'm not absolutely sure of that religious sense of karma, but you get what he's saying. You have an action, it'll come with the consequences. He continues, and yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap what you sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Can anybody relate to this singer right here? (sighs) All right, he continues. That's between me and God. But I'd be in big trouble if Carmen was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in a terrible mess. And if you go read that book, he did not say a terrible mess. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world So that what we put out did not come back to us. And that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. So when we read Revelation 20, I'm scared to death. I'm absolutely terrified for the people who say, I'm okay. I'll be judged on my own life. I'm terrified for them. But I'm astounded at the grace of God. Who says it? Grace, unmerited favor. Or as Bono put it, love interrupts what I deserve. Hallelujah. My work, some of it, I've tried to do the right thing and it failed. Sometimes I didn't even try to do the right thing and God did it anyway. I'm just so thankful that I'm not trying to hold the scales of the balance because I never could. Second big idea, and I want to give it to you in two phases. First is this. Only God can judge, and he will. You ever run into those people that will tell you only God can judge me? There's a young man. Well, he's not so young anymore, but there's a man that goes to Antioch Baptist Church. He wouldn't mind me telling this story. When he was a very young man, he used to come to the warehouse as a teenager, and and uh, one day he, he came in, and uh, he had uh, like, a, like a bandage on, and I could tell he had gotten him a fresh tattoo. And I said, uh, I said, what's your tattoo say, man? What, what kind of tattoo did you get? And he says, oh, you'll like this. He peeled it back, and it says, only God can judge me. And I said, you betcha, and he will. This verse tells us; these verses, rather, this passage tells us, God intends to judge. Nobody wants to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged. As a matter of fact, in our country and our culture, people say, "Don't judge me." We're going to be judged. Would somebody in the church say, "Amen"? The Bible says the dead, great and small, are going to stand before the throne. The books will be open. Everyone will be judged. Right? How are they going to be judged? If you go back and look at verse number 12, some will be judged by the book of life. I'll never forget my friend friend and I got backstage passes to ACDC. Not that I'm recommended at young people, but it was a different time in my life, and you know, I wanted to shake all night long and stuff like that. I was back in black, and uh we had also gotten this parking deal where we parked up really close to the stadium. and We were told to go through this door, and I didn't realize it, but I had pulled, I had my parking pass around my neck, and I was holding it up, and the guy put his hand on my chest. He stopped me. And I was at that phase in life where I didn't like anybody interfering with me, and I, I, I chopped his hand down. I mean, get your hand off me. And I was like, oh. I went in my shirt. He goes, okay, come on through. I was showing him the wrong credentials. See, there's only one set of credentials that get you in heaven. I don't care how long you've parked next to, next to, uh, next to it. It's only one set of credentials that's going to get you in. It's being found in the book of life. So only, only God can judge. Amen, church? And he will. Now, those in the book of life will be judged by Christ's work, and those not in the book of uh, life will be judged by, by their own work. That's what the scripture says. The dead were judged according to their works. The dead are judged according to their works. And this isn't this sort of thing where people are going to get to debate their case. <laughs> it's, it's very important to note that. This is not a debate. And I'll tell you, you can study this if you, and I think it's worth studying, like in Matthew chapter 11. I don't even understand all this, but there seems to be degrees of punishment. But that's no consolation for me. <laughs> like, hmm, how much punishment will I get in hell? You're not with God. And if you want that reference, from Matthew 11, 20 through 24 is a mind boggling passage to me. The Bible says the sea is going to give up its dead. No one will be able to hide in the sky or on the the earth. Everyone will be laid bare, and God will take a look at their works. In other words, if you're saying you can stand before God on your own merit, he's saying, okay, let's take a look at you. Anybody know the problem with this? None is righteous. See how many people knew that? None is righteous. I witnessed to a guy the other day um, um, at La Casina's parking lot. Actually, he started. It was like, man, you're asking for this. Because he kept saying to me, I know I do a lot of good. He kept saying, I know I don't go to church, but I do a lot of good. And I was like, is church the issue? He says, no, the issue is do I do enough good? I said, you think that's the issue? I said, I said, you know, do you know anything about the Bible? He says, yeah, I know the Bible pretty good. And I says, what's the book of life? He says, He says that's where you get your name if you've done enough good. I said, do you know what work, there's one work that Jesus calls good. And I said, do you know what it is? He says, uh, no. And I says, the one work that he calls good is that you believe on the one that he sent. He said, oh, I believe on him. And I said, Have you believed on him to the point that you follow him? He says, no. And he says, man, maybe I'm not saved. The guy talked himself into it. Isn't that something? And I was like, I I was going to let it go. And he just kept saying, he just kept saying, that. I know I don't go to church, but I try to do good. Okay, I was hot. I didn't want to stand here, but you done brought it on now. You done got me riled up. Listen, listen. I'm not picking on anybody. Here's how simple it is to have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life believe on Jesus. Believe that He died to pay for your sins. Believe that He defeated death to be the firstborn among the resurrected. Believe that He will advocate for you in life. Believe that not only Jesus wants you to know Him when you die, He wants to know you while while you're alive. Believe on Jesus. And finally and quickly, this passage shows us something that should cause us to rejoice, but it's also very sad. This passage tells us that death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire, and this is the part that just literally breaks me. And so are those not in the book of life thrown into the lake of fire. I think that's worth noting that God is not just going to hand out a little punishment and say, okay, now come into heaven. Purgatory is just a theory. It's just a theory. Nowhere in the Bible is there an allowance for purgatory. It's just an idea, right? What's going to ultimately happen is that there'll be no more sin, okay? There'll be no more sin, and so death will be thrown into the fire. Sin is eliminated, so death is gone. And Hades, Hades is where the dead go. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more death. So, where does sin and death go? I mean, uh, uh, death and Hades, excuse me. No more sin, so no more death. No more death, so no more Hades. Where does death and Hades go? They go in the lake of fire. You know why? Because they were never designed for the people of God anyway. Isn't that cool? Now, that part's cool. That's so cool. You know, literally, one day we're going to be able to look at death and say, to hell with you. And like literally mean it, to hell with you, death. We're going to be able to look at the grave and say, to hell with you. And this is not a curse in the sense of ugly language, but it's a curse in the sense of that's where that belongs. Wow. And so. That part doesn't break my heart. Somebody ought to say amen. (laughs) That part does not bother me at all. (laughs) You know, the part that death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire is totally exciting. I love it. Here's what bothers me. As there is a second and higher life, there is a second and deeper death. Does that rattle anybody? And as and as after that life there is no more death after this death who can finish the sentence? There's no more life. You believer, you're going to experience you're going to experience the death. Your body's going to die. If the Lord tarries your body's going to die. But after that, no more death. Unbelievers, their body's going to die, then there's a worse death coming. Someone, I I, I like the simplification. I've heard it criticized that it's an oversimplification, but someone says, if you you know the Lord, this this life is as bad as it's ever going to be for you. And if you don't know the Lord, this life is as good as it'll ever get. So, there's a reason to rejoice. Death and Hades, what what can we say to them? Without talking ugly, what can we say to death and Hades? To hell with you. We're not cursing, we're saying directionally, eternally, death and Hades cast into the lake of fire, away from the people of God, away from the new heaven, away from the new earth, away from the throne room of God, death and Hades cast out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm so excited about that. What I'm not excited about is there are people who I love, who refuse Jesus, who will be thrown in to the deeper death. I keep seeing this little meme float around social media for months now where it uh, shows someone standing at a grave and they, they're putting flowers on the grave and it says they're in a much better place now. And then underneath it is another picture of, of hell. In other, words, in other words, for some people who die without Jesus, they're not in a better place. Now, am I trying to bother anyone? To be honest, yes. I am. I'm trying to bother you just enough that you will hear the sweet voice of Jesus calling you to come. Am I trying to bother you when you think about people you care about? Just enough, just enough that we would get burdened enough to share the gospel with our friends and families, co-workers and loved ones. I believe we're not simply talking about this life and this death, but eternal life and eternal death, and I believe it's worth our attention. Now, I'm done with that sermon, and I'm glad, because this has literally hurt me this week. I, on the one hand, that someone might find relief through the preaching of the gospel excites me. On the other hand, to consider how many people that I know and love that are without the Lord deeply disturbs me. And it sent me to my knees over and over and over again this week. And maybe today, one of your greatest responses would be to say, Lord, Lord, deliver them. Lord, give me a burden for the lost. Lord, make me a carrier of the gospel, a vocal witness of your goodness through Jesus Christ. But I know that whether you make that prayer or not, if you love Jesus, there's one thing you owe us tonight. You owe a debt of gratitude. You do. Because it's not our merit that delivers us out of the fire of hell. It is Jesus' righteous work. So, you got to have a response to a message like, you have to. If nothing else, you say, Thank you, God. If nothing else, maybe you don't go out of here and witness to everybody, but if you can hear this and not say thank you, something ain't right, y'all. <laughs> Last but not least, I'll say this What's your relationship with Jesus tonight? Have you submitted to God through Jesus? Do you believe that what he did counts for you? And have you submitted your life to him as a disciple? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. How do you know you actually believe? Because believing on Jesus changes your life. If you've believed and not and you say, I believe, but you haven't been changed, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself, and you're still living by your works, not his righteousness. Now, I know most of y'all in this room, you sweet, good people, but I don't know your heart. I'm not omniscient. I'm barely conscious today. I know I'm not omniscient. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I would like the Holy Spirit to comfort you. And for some of us, he has to teach us to fear before he teaches us relieve our fears as John Newton said so I'm going to pray for you and we're going to sing a song then we're going to take the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper tonight is for believers to remember the shed blood the broken body and the goodness of God we need consolation so we'll take supper together let's pray Father, this passage is so plain, it's probably likely I should have just read it and hushed. We either trust you or we don't. We either depend on our goodness and we live any way we want to live and we live to suit ourselves, or we really have a walk with you. What I know is, Is that for those who believe on Jesus, your grace covers us. And when we hear of hell, we should hear of a place that we don't belong, a place that's not meant for us. When we hear of hell, we who believe, we should tremble. We should tremble with compassion for those around us who don't know Jesus. Our prayers should be stoked. Our knees should be bent. When we hear of hell, we know that we who believe in Jesus are safe from that judgment. But we should be burdened for those who are not safe. So many ways we could respond tonight. Father, in the minimum, lead your people to say thank you. In Jesus I pray, amen.